happening, troops? Welcome back to another episode of A Little House in the Prairie podcast. Uh, this week, we've got an absolute banger for you. Uh, one of my really good pals, and known him for a long, long time. Uh, all the way from Scotland, the hometown of Irvine, or Drybridge to be more precise. <laughs> we'll get Daz Scott in the house. What's happening, Darren? What is happening, Chazza? Fuck all, mate. No speak, no see. I know, mate. I think the last time I saw you, I bumped into you outside Clubhouse when you were playing in there. You were playing a gig in there. And I was talking away to you for about fucking 20 minutes. And you're like, bastard, I'm playing shortly here. You fucking get me here. I'm going to be late. <laughs> you're kind of rushing a bit to get set up at the end of but... Aye, uh, that sounds a bit right, man. Aye, the Clubhouse. That's a bit of a distant memory now, man. That's been, what, about a year or two years that's been closed? Well, it would have been two years ago when I seen you, because that would have been back in 2019 when I was there, when I was there for four months, living with my dad and that. Yeah. Uh, the clubhouse closed about December time, so you must have been around about the summer, because I was a resident in there for about a year and a half. Um, aye, that sounds about right. That was That's like my favourite place in the world, man, the clubhouse. It's good, see, especially a, fri- a Friday night when... A Friday or a Saturday night before everybody's going into, uh, into the town and that. Even if you're not going on a big night out, it's like, fuck it, we'll go and get a couple of pints in Clubhouse and we'll see where we end up after. And there was always bouncing, man. Like, it wasn't the biggest place, but it was always fucking chock-a-block, wasn't it? That, uh, that's, that's the thing that I loved about it, mate. It was like the, it was the energy of the place. Like, even though it wasn't even classed as a nightclub, it was still classed as a club because it was... Uh, sorry, a pub, because we were serving food you know, during the day and all that kind of stuff, but the guy that owned it, Duffy, like, I, utmost respect for him, mate, like, he, that was the first, my first residence in there, and I think for, the, like, an idea of, like, a small venue, like, he nailed it, man, and like, get playing, like, house, and, like, playing a bit of techno, maybe a bit of old trance, all that kind of stuff, completely different from what you would hear in pictures, you know, like, you get into pictures and, like, it would just be, like, Nate dog shake that on, on repeat or, like, end dubs, do you know what I mean? Um, um, and that's that's what I loved about it, man. <coughs> um, I was I played in there probably once, once every two weeks, or it jumped between once every two weeks or once a month. But I loved it, man. What it was it was a good place to be, and I think he had the right idea. And he was uh, obviously he was bringing in that kind of house and techno influence, and uh, kind of brought a new sound to it. But at the same time, it wasn't just jumping all over the map, bringing in who like whoever the fuck he could get. He was bringing a lot of the kind of younger folk and the local the local yeah. boys into play, like yourself. And I know uh, the boys at the Funk Agenda played in there a couple of times. And I think even uh, my pal, Reese Taylor, he played in there. I, I, uh, I know Reese Taylor very well, man. Uh, Harry as well. Uh, Reese and Harry. Boys. I used to play football. So when I played with Trun, Reese was a right back. I played right mid. Uh, right mid. Mm. And I was dead close to them. His dad was our coach, so I used to be run run at theirs just a bit every every week, if not twice a week, uh, kicking about with Reese and Harry and Dundonald, man. Uh, obviously, mm. yourself just down the road in Drybridge, like fucking brilliant, man. Uh, he's a banging producer as well. Like, um, he, it was EP, he released, it was um, God Made Me, and it was on like Motec. And... Um, Oh, I can't remember the DJ that played it, man. I remember yeah, Maceo Plex. Maceo Plex, that's that man played his track. Like, seeing you're getting your tracks played for like guys that you've looked up to, up to for that long, do you know what I mean? Like, that must have been some buzz for him. That must have been some buzz. 
Well, you can see where the influence came for, for they too, because even I remember fucking back when I used to used to be there all the time, like their dad done he's he's right into the right into the old rave rave scene and all that back in the nineties and everything. He was heavy into it. So there was always that influence about the two of them. And I think especially the, the kind of people that they are, they're just again like me and you were talking about there just before we started here. Uh, very driven and uh, yep. just non-stop folk that what what their ass off and yep. I mean re- that was that was a big thing for recent Maceo Plex played that and uh, he he worked for years to make that happen because he was out in Ibiza every summer living there for like watching the DJs that were playing there eventually he got his residency in Ibiza Rocks I think it was um, unfortunately for me both times I was over there I didn't get to catch up with him yep. just because it but he was that busy, you know what I mean? Like I wasn't even I wasn't even fucking greeting about it or anything, because you want to see folk day well and you need to understand that they've got work today and they've got to just keep keep pushing. So okay. when I was there though, it was it was unfortunate I didn't get to catch him, but yeah. I loved his EP, man. I, I loved his EP and I was kinda I'm I'm not particularly close with the boys now, but I did um years ago, probably when I was about sixteen. We always used to like, um, go to Gaffs and Donald and stuff like that. So I knew them quite well back then, but not so much now. But I, I do um, kind of keep in contact every so often with them. Actually, the deck sitting behind me, I bought them off Harry Taylor. They're Harry Taylor's old decks. He was a bit of a, that was a, bit of a godsend, man, because I sold my decks. And then, God behold, we were into fucking lockdown. I was like, oh, fuck, man. Look, I've got the decks. <laughs> And he's like, mate, look, you can have these RX2s. I'll, like, I'll give you a good price on them. And he drove all the way down for Glasgow and fucking sold them. So, cheers, Harry. That was yeah. fucking... Top <laughs> that boy, was... top boy, yeah. man. And he's been he's been successful and all. I mean, I, I speak to Reese more. Uh, obviously, when I was at home, fuck, when would I have been about three or four years ago now? I had Reese up at mine and he had a catch-up and all that. And... Obviously, because I played football with Reese, I was a lot closer to him. And but Harry's been really successful with the stuff he's doing at all with the Lacura events that were happening up in Glasgow. I mean, he was playing on the same uh, set list as Jay Lumen, who obviously yourself knows, <clears throat> big name on drum code and things like that. And I uh, so he got he actually booked him for Club Sixty Nine, and um, as far as I remember, uh, it was David Sellers uh, pointed oh, right. out as well. Um, I just filmed a, a set for David Sellers um, for his, um, you know, techno live sets on Facebook Aye. and on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So I, he was, um, he's been signed to a record label. I don't know the full story behind it, but he was at a message when he goes, mate, I know you're working with close contact. Um, you've got a bit of knowledge of filming sets. Would you mind coming down um, on a Saturday and getting a couple of like, camera angles, film it, take the sound, and I'll send it over to the guy so he can edit it? And I think it was getting a stupid amount of views, man, because that's got like 800,000 likes or something like that. And so it's, it was quite a good feeling to do that from man. But I'm um, one of the reasons why I'm doing the close contact stuff and that as well is because I'm all about helping guys out. Like that, do you know what I mean? That are kind of up and coming. And I feel as if when me and Alan were younger, we never really had that kind of support. So to be able to kind of create that network a DJs and producers that you can bounce off each other and help each other out whenever you are needing help. I think that's fantastic, man. It's brilliant, and you're seeing a lot of the a lot of the Ayrshire DJs and producers benefiting from it as well. Because 
I mean, obviously, you've got yourself and Alan, who were for Drybridge and Dragon, respectively, and uh, Reese and Harry coming out of Dundonald. I think Reese was living in Crosshouse with his dad when his dad moved there, and I think now he's over in Gibraltar with his bird. Um, and then you've got folk like the Funk Agenda boys coming out of the Canaco winning area, Stevenson in it. And then obviously Scoosh and Stephen and all them are orphan boys. So, I mean, it, it's cool to see that everybody's starting to get the support. And obviously, yourself and Alan have been doing this for a long time because I mean, fucking years ago, even before these were doing techno house stuff like that, these were making like hip hop tracks and folk were rapping on the beaches and making and stuff like that. I mean, facts, man. Like, I remember, here's, like, we're kind of like shit console screams, do you know what I mean? Like, jumping the genres. Um, <laughs> here's here's a wee story for you, which will pretty much sum up how long that me and I'll be making music. So, I remember, like, the first software I downloaded, I don't know if you'll know this, have you ever heard it, Dan CJ? Ah, fucking, I know what it is, but I don't think I ever was in... Had it or anything like any involvement in it? They're basically like eight bar loops, 16 bar loops, whether it be like melodies or kick drums or whatever. So, like, I started off with that, and I was like, I, me and Alan were using that. I think it was my dad that actually introduced me to it. And then, like, I remember, I mean, I must have been about 12 or something like that, maybe younger. And I remember like, messaging Alan going like that, mate, there must be like another program we can use that we can actually like, put our own melodies and stuff into and like actually make stuff with scratch. Because with, with this program, we're very limited. We can only like, as samples basically, do you know what I mean? Like 16 bar samples, 8 bar samples. So like the creativeness really is there. So he's like, right, we'll look into it. And we found a program called Fruity Loops, which was... The, I think the first FL studio we used, mate, was seven. So we're now on 21. So that, that, shows, long you, time. that shows you how long. I, I remember making like a four-track EP and it was total fucking garbage. But like at this point, I was going to the skating. Actually, you 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 might remember this, man. You used to go to skating, didn't you? Yeah, I, was, I was heavy in the skating. Right. Friday, right. Sat, Friday, Saturday, Sunday every week. Mate, I taken a CD in, right, with my three tracks on it, and I remember the track, they get played, so I went up to Stephen and Johnny, like the DJs at the skating, I was like, right, here's my CD, there you go, not even USBs, mate, fucking CDs, like, so I, um, is it alright if you can play my track, I must have been again about 12, oh, blah, 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 aye, whatever, so he's like, right, a point in five minutes, and I remember, like, running over to, like, all my pals and going, mate, mate, He's about to play my fucking song. He's about to play my song. And he started playing it. And since I said it was a fucking, uh, the song was a pile of shit. Like, the songs were shit. Uh, like, horrible, man. But he played my track, mate. And I was like, oh my fucking God. Oh my God. He played about 30 seconds there. He turned it off and he went on the tunnel and went, Daryl, that's fucking push. And then he put, like, <laughs> another track over the top of it. And I, like, I put another song on. And I wasn't even angry at the fact that he went on the tannoy and said, your song shit. I was still buzzing at the fact that I was like, holy fuck, this is what my music sounds like on a big sound system. Do you know what I mean? And uh, see, ever, see, ever since that moment, mate, I was like, I want to do this. Like, I want to play my music on big fucking systems to, like, loads of people. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it's, like, that feeling that you get seeing you've created something and it gets played to an audience of that size... It's addictive, man. I definitely, and especially in that 
in the Magnum in the skating. I mean, you know yourself, you were you were there, you were there often, but that sound system, that sound system was fucking phenomenal. See, for, like the Magnum wasn't the most beautiful place. It was an older place, but they, see the skating nights, they were some of the best nights that you had back then, man. Fucking again, similar to going a night out now in Clubhouse. Everybody was there. Everybody you knew was there. Everybody was fucking bouncing about. Maybe if you were, if you'd managed to rob some bevy and that, you were on it. And do you know what I mean? Like, see, just getting a chance to have other people listening to your music and even get the feedback. It just gives you the drive to then go on and do it even more and get better and better. So next time that you do get the feedback, that it's gonna, it's got you're determined to get that good feedback I mean, where folk relate to it, innit? Totally, mate. Totally. I, I feel like it doesn't matter what feedback you get. Like, even if it's bad feedback, like, you can, it's, I've never ever got offended when somebody's turned around and said, like, a piece of music of mine's just been shit because I've always looked at it and went, well, what's wrong with it? Do you know what I mean? What do I need to, like, change to make it good? Is it from, like, an engineering point of view or is the song, the song just straight up garbage to begin with? Because it doesn't matter how well you engineer a track or mix or master a track. If it's a shit song, it's a shit song. So it's been, I think I'm getting to the point now where um, I'm starting to understand my sound more. Even though I kind of jump, I jump genre a bit with my dad's Scott stuff, like, but I always stay within the house and techno kind of stuff. With dad's Scott, I think I have found my sound. And I think what finding that and developing that is like amazing, man. And like being able to look back on the stuff that you used to make all the years ago, like I fuck man, we used to make dubstep and like you just made everything. He's jumped like I said, I think the first song that I ever heard I probably heard the one at the skating, but the first one that sticks in my head was one that Cammy played me. Cammy McClure played me. We were sitting in the art and he was he was talking about you you and Alan made the beat. And I can't remember, it was him and somebody else was rapping over the beat. Was this your dad's your grand by any chance? Possibly. Mate, that Very was, possibly. That's, I had to take that off my SoundCloud and I had to get my wee sister to put it on her SoundCloud because <laughs> it's like, I'm trying to like take my career a bit seriously, do you know what I mean? But I couldn't delete it forever. I still had to have people to hear it because it's like, it's Alan produced the beat, I rapped over it, I done the hook. And it was like auto-tuned and everything. I'll sit, see after this is done, I'll send you the link to it. So fucking oh. I think that was the first one I heard. And then I obviously you got involved in a lot of dubstep stuff and doing all that when that was kinda big, when it was kinda Skrillex was coming about and you had obviously folk like Pendulum and uh, Dr. P and stuff like that were kicking about and they were all the big names. And then the heat of like 2013 or 14 or whatever it was. Aye, uh, and then it, for there it kind of progressed into, I think everybody kind of progressed into the house and techno. And I think uh, personally, the reason for that for me was just it's a bit more structured. I'm somebody that's very OCD. Like, see if I go into something, I'm going to sound like an absolute weirdo when I say this, right? I've got to say, sound like a weirdo. See, when I go into somebody's house and they've just kicked their shoes off and they're sitting in a pile, that freaks me out, man. I need to go in, take my shoes off, sit them perfectly together so that the two shoes are beside each other right way up. 
you're out with the fucking compass and all that, like uh, making sure they're angled perfectly. Mate, no joking, <laughs> yeah. I, it's one thing that really, really gets to me. And d- dubstep was a bit like that for me, where you had you had the build up, and then it's like this is this hard drop, and this is the drop, and then it was kind of all over the place. Whereas with the the house and techno, even though even with the build up or when it comes to the drop and the look like the you've got your loops playing, it's a wee bit more structured. Like you can feel you can kind of get in the rhythm and you can feel the groove and you can kind of ride it rather than it it's being more, all over the shop. It's more uh, predictable. Aye, that's it. So like, I house and techno is notoriously like um, what's the word? Repetitive. Do you know what I mean? So. Obviously, you've got all your subgenres and everything, but uh, maybe more so techno in the house. But techno used to be really, like, really, really repetitive, man. Like back in the day, like you're talking about like the nineties and everything when it first started coming up. Maybe not even the nineties, but even before, maybe like the eighties. Um, and it was really repetitive, and it started off with guys like Jeff Mill, like the drum machines, and you like, then like maybe your old. Um, TB3 and everything would come into it. Aye. Um, Aye, back in the Detroit days when it was all that Detroit industrial sound that was coming out, it was, it was uh, again, and a lot of folk were taking uh, taking looks for like funk tracks and soul tracks and things like that, and they were putting them over the, the drums, like you said, with the drum machines and things like that, so it yeah. was very, it was... Uh, like very repetitive because of the sequence. There were sequences that were being used essentially, weren't it? Yeah. Um. It was for dance music for me. Like ah, I, I actually get into raves and everything like really quite late on, and like the actual full scene. So like, when I was making music, I just loved. I just made music because I loved making music, mate. Like I never like said to myself, oh, "I want to make dance music," or "I want to make that." Like I just made music. Um, like I made a lot of kind of like ambient stuff and everything when, uh, under like my old Arrow Dive alias, which I've actually just um, kind of resurrected a wee bit to make like UK hardcore and stuff like that again, because I, I kind of miss the Cobbland sound a wee bit, so I brought that back. But that was the that was the name that I made music under years ago, Arrow Dive, and it was like dubstep, and I was making ambient stuff. It was just a wishy wash bowl of everything, mum. And uh, I didn't, I didn't get into raves and probably until I was like maybe nineteen or twenty, and then I went to my first rave. I try to remember what my first proper rave was. Was it Riverside or SWG Three? But that completely changed my life, man. It changed my life, mate. And like for that point on, I said to myself, right, I need a new name, and I need to look. You come up with a, like, do you know what I mean? Create an idea and create like something that I want to be passionate about. And I, I think my my dad's Scott stuff. Now I'm 25. I think my dad's Scott stuff only started when I was 21. So it's only been four years I've been doing serious, serious music. You know, like before that, I was just doing it because like I enjoyed doing it. I've only really been DJing maybe two or three years as well. This is how long I've been DJing. See, when I started in the clubhouse, like my, my first day in the clubhouse, I'd been DJing three weeks before that. I'd just started. I'd just Jesus. bought my first set of decks. I Mate, that's that's brave. Because even see see myself, for me, it was 
obviously similar to yourself, you've got that that Glasgow music scene where you've got uh, SWG3 in Riverside. By the way, the Riverside lineup this year is fucking phenomenal. The, the Sunday, it's silly in it. <laughs> and then uh, Subclub. So the very like obviously. I had I had an idea of what it was, but the first opportunity I actually got to go to a proper a proper rave, a proper night out in a club, there was a uh, Dennis Salter was playing in Subby, and there was a there was a probably about ten years went, and again changed my life forever. Like see see especially in sub club as well because it's so small and it's so com- compact and it's like. It's what you want out of rave. It's a proper sweat fest. Like yeah. every, everybody's just mongoed and it's hot and it's uncomfortable and the tunes are fucking loud and the sound system's right beside you in the cages. Like you can literally go and put your hands on the cages and feel the, the power coming out of the speakers. And uh but even for myself, like that was kind of what made me want to start learning how to DJ. And I've kind of been DJing now probably for a, a couple of years, but no anything too serious, kind of on and off. I, I really need to just start being more consistent with it. But see, that idea of jumping into something three weeks after first learning, that's mental. Me, me, me and Darwin, it was. So what basically what happened was we were, um, we were having a drink in a pub called uh, Smuggles, which is in Trun. And we were in there, and the, the pub was dead, man. It was only me and maybe a couple of other people. Luckily, they were a bit younger, but the DJ was on, and he was like, oh, but he's wanting on. And me and Alan had just finished our Unified EP. So, like, this must have been... We Run The Noise came out in July, and then the Unified EP came out in, like, November, December time. So it must have been about December. I think... I think, I but November time, because we... Well, like, right, okay, um, can we play an EP on the speakers? And I was like, aye, 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 no worries. So, like, that was almost, like, we done that. We put the, the tunes on the big sound system and see, like, how I said earlier about the skating, where, like, tunes on a big sound system and that feeling you get because it's you've made it, do you know what I mean? You've created it. Aye. So, like, I got that feeling again. And I've turned around and looked at Alan, I was like, ah, mate, I'm buying a fucking set of decks. And he was like, ah, but you don't know how to DJ. Like, you've never DJed before. I'm like, ah, mate, I'm buying a set of decks, right? And I was wrecked at this point. And I was like, ah, what are you doing? And I've got up and I've got up to the guy behind the bar who owned the pub. And I was like, ah, can we do a gig in here? Like, in a few weeks or whenever you're free, I'm a DJ. <laughs> 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 and uh, I'll bring my decks and all that. And I can guarantee I can bring it with at least 50 people. He was like, hey, aye, man, no worries, two weeks' time, all right? I was like, aye, aye, that sounds class. <laughs> so, ordered a set of decks. It was a wee set of um, what, DDJ. I don't even know what they were. Would that have been the, the SB3 back then? I think it would have been. I think it, it was uh, SB3, mate. I think that was them. The one with like, the scratch feature and all that that you never used. Aye, that's the one. So, I was I ordered them and it cost me like fucking three hundred quid or whatever it was. Um I was uh me and Alan just done a crash course in my bedroom for like a couple of weeks like that. Right, we need to learn how to fucking DJ. We need to learn how to DJ. And see that first gig that like we played in there, like we never watched YouTube tutorials or anything, but I, I kinda we kinda knew how to beat match and stuff like that. 
because obviously we were used to like, sampling stuff on the FL Studio and like, we know when beats are lined up, so we kind of gathered that. You need to like line up the BPM and all that stuff. We never used the sync button, but when we were mixing the tracks together, we had like the volume faders all the way up and we weren't using EQs and what we were doing was there wasn't a turn off on the crossfader. So we just had the crossfader for one side and then we were mixing and another tune we moved the crossfader over the other side. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, hey, see for see the bars to go on and do that, and nobody's got to get it perfect the first time. But it's the learn, it's the learning, and it? it's like you said before, the same thing with the first time when you got the feedback for Johnny and that at the skating, and it was like it needs work. You always take everything as a learning opportunity. And I tell you I something think- as well. See and see that night and the smugglers, eighty people come down. It was fucking, it was packing, mate. It was absolutely packing. But honestly, see, if you, you, you did speak to Alan, ask Alan about it. That first gig we played in Smugglers, it was packing, mate. And like the guy um, that owned the club was at, well, sorry, owned the pub. Like it was just a wee pub, mate. Like it was just a wee daft pub, you know. It's closed now. It's out of business. But um, it probably only held like 100 people. And there was like 80 people in it, mate. So like everybody was like, crammed in there and the guy was like ah, um, oh geez, why do you come back and play it I, I can't remember if it was like Christmas Eve or whatever, we went and done another gig mate, and the other gig was exactly the same, and it was these two gigs I looked at Alan and I was at mate, like see that I feed off that, like uh, making music and then like alright you're playing other people's tunes, but see throwing in your odd tune, do you know what I mean and like people loving it, and like at that point we we run the noise. It just started blowing up. I think it like at that point I think it maybe had a hundred k or something like that. So like everybody knew that I knew anyway. What like, knew of that tune? So I when I played that, everybody fucking well lost their shit, mate. And I was like, mate, like I fucking want to do this. I want to do yeah. this so badly. And that's what's nice about the wee venues as well, is you can you can test out the tunes that you've been working on, the ones that you've been making, and see you can gauge the reaction. Cause I mean, even e- even the biggest DJs in the world that go touring all over the shop, they need somewhere to to try this, right? Because there's no point in making a tune and then you play it out and need the dances, do you know what I mean? So you, you need you need that that uh, feedback for the folk that you're playing it to. And I think yeah. uh, especially when you're just starting off, coming for being producers for so long and then moving into DJing, you have that uh, that learning process so quick that it's nice to make make do with the the opportunities that you've got and the wee places where we've got them. Because it was such a backwards way to do it as well, man. Like any other person we've spoke to, they've said, "Do you know what? I've been DJing for ten years, but I've only just started making music." And then me and Alan are turning around to saying to all these people, oh, we've been making music since we were fucking 10. Do you know what I mean? We've only been DJing six months. Uh, so, like, the, the quickness of all that, like, we played a couple of gigs in Smugglers, and, like, the, the, the gigs were pretty close together, like, maybe, like, two weeks apart. And then, like, two weeks after that, I think it closed, and I was at drinking in the clubhouse one night, and I was standing at the bar, and I was gutted, obviously, because Smugglers had closed. Because obviously the nights we were on the pain, uh, playing there, they weren't getting any people through the door. So I was gutted, man. But um, I was telling my mate Connor McKenna about this. Connor, if, if, I'll probably tell him to watch this, man, because he, he'll be like, ah, aye. 
don't you forget and mention me about this. This is the only reason you got that gig. Um, so I was standing at the bar with Conor McKenna, and I was like, oh, fuck, man, I need a gig ASAP. Like, it's addictive. And he's like, oh, I know Duffy, man. Do you want me to go and speak to Duffy? And I was like, oh, no, don't, man. Like, getting on barrister and shit. I'm like, no, I don't, man. And he's like, no, it's all right. He's sound, he's sound. So he's shouted me over. And um, he's like, that's the first time I'd actually been introduced to Duffy and what spoke to him face to face. And he was like, all right, what's happening? And he's like, um, Daryl's wanting to DJ in the clubhouse. He's like, oh, would you play? Uh, House and Techno, he's like, mate, come in next week, man. That's exactly what I'm after and do a wee tutorial. So I went down with my wee decks. Alan was there, I think Alan was away somewhere. And I played a tune and Duffy's honestly met up the back of the clubhouse like, so I, mate, you're in next Friday, man. You're in next Friday. He's <laughs> just a guy that loves tunes, man. Uh, it's nice to have that as well. Like uh, somebody that's willing to give you the opportunity to give you give it a go, right? And when somebody loves the music, it, it gives you the freedom as a DJ to play the tunes that you enjoy rather than... Exactly, mate. Exactly. Rather than like in, in club, uh, sorry, in, in pictures, I think... It's a very similar thing to what goes on here, where I debut the DJ, but it's like you've got to play this tune, that tune, this tune, that tune, and then it's very here's, here's chart play- music in it. Here's the playlist. You're the DJ. You need to play this playlist, uh, and it's it, it, it's very sad, mate, because it's like when you think about the roots of DJing and everything, like that's not that's not what it's about, mate. Like, it, it, and it's went very. It's very, it's went very controlled and EDM and very money orientated when it should just be about, like, do you know what I mean? I like DJs that play stuff that I haven't heard before, man. And I'm like, ah, holy fuck, like, that's a fucking tune. Like, what is that called? And uh, sometimes, sometimes I won't even shazam it because it was a tune that was such in, the, it was so in the moment that I wouldn't want to hear it again out of context. And I think uh, that's where that's why the admiration for some of the DJs, like you mentioned earlier, Scream. I think the reason why folk love Scream so much is because he's broke through the barriers coming through dubstep and on obviously into a lot of kind of house tech house stuff. And the stuff that he plays in his sets is like you again, you didn't even know that you needed it, but see when it comes, you're like, holy fuck. Mm. And I've seen him playing tunes like I've seen him playing the Arctic Monkeys in his sets, which has no right being in a house and techno set. But see when you hear it, the fucking I think there's a there's a video he played a boiler room in London in a hotel when he played it with disclosure, mm-hmm. and folk were folk were taking the, I don't know if this was planned or not, but folk were taking the pillows off the bed and fucking ripping them open. There was feathers everywhere, man. Cunts, the cunt was crowd surfing like he's just mental, man. He just. That kind of has lost the absolute plot. It's a, it's a video of um, um, like p- playing the Dominica remix. Dominica remix. I gotta let you go. And he's ah, he's all the drinks. He this ah, mate. You're a legend, man. You're an absolute legend. <laughs> he started he started on top of the on top of the booth and fucking uh, James Fisolato's trying to hold him up. <laughs> and then the best bit about that is James is like ah, trying to make sure that he doesn't start in the mixer. And he tries to fix something, the scream starts going off his head, pure back his hands away, like fucking Leah's. I don't want him then. He, he leaves a high pass filter on for ages and he, he folds it on the decks and then he goes, Oh, wait, hold on. Boom, bass kicks back and everybody's like, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, and even I seen him when I was in IB for the first time, I seen him playing uh, Elro 
and uh, we were in, am- like, in amnesia. And it's funny because he's he's the man in the booth. He's playing the tunes. And the security were threatening to kick him out because he kept fucking. So they had it was like a, a circus team. So they had like a canopy. Like, see one of the canopies you'd see outside a coffee shop or something that just crowded the wee table that's at the front. Nice. It was like a canvas canopy. And he was playing back to back with somebody. And every time, I think it was maybe, fuck, I don't even know who it was. Maybe Darius Rossian or somebody. But every time, like, he'd step away for the decks and the other cunt was playing, he was hanging on the canopy and swinging his headphones a bit and trying to fuck about the CO2 cannons. And the security kept corrupting him, telling him to stop it. But he, do you know what I mean? Like, see the folk that. It's, mate, it's guys like that that, like, that's what. For me, that's what, like, dance music and that's all about, man. Like, like get, fucking enjoying yourself, man. And, like, he's a guy that, like, goes out and enjoys himself, man. He, he makes banging tunes and he puts on a show. All right, okay, I don't agree with, like, a lot of the EDM stuff where you're picking up cake and you're throwing it in cunts' faces and all that stuff. But nice. Scream goes there, plays a banging set, plays tunes that... Do you know what I mean? Are underground, or they're not? They don't have a lot of money behind them. They're very house and techno. And as he says, he might throw in a bit of Arctic Monkeys just to fuck with people, but people love it. Do you know what I mean? And I, like, that's a good DJ, mate. Like a good DJ will throw in a track that you're not expecting, but you you need you need in your fucking life. And I think uh, why why that works so well is because. He is in there enjoying the music the same as the folk in the crowd are. Like the crowd feed off of the energy he's got. See when you've got somebody behind the decks, it's le- like they're leading the dance. And see when they're loving it that much, it gets everybody else involved. And when he's up there making an arsey cell, just pure mongo and on the decks and fucking steaming and everything else, the folk that are on the dance floor and are steaming and everything, like, they, they, they stop caring about making an arse of themselves because they see somebody else doing it and they're like, no, what? I'm just going to enjoy myself. Like, this is what it's all about. It's not about showing up and being... I think a lot of folk take it too serious and it's like an embarrassment of, I that's, can't make a mistake. Aye, that's exactly my point, man. Like, people, DJs make mistakes in that as well. Like, I've made mistakes, mate. I, I remember the biggest one I'd done was I was doing a gig in the clubhouse and the set of decks that I had... Um, there were controllers, DDJ 1000s, and um, so the look button was like up the top of the jock wheel, but behind the fucking look button was the off switch. So I remember, like, really, this has been like my DJ skills and everything were picking up. So this was when I was maybe eight months deep into my residence at the clubhouse. I was like, do you know what I mean? Knob twisting, everything from my hands a bit, and I went, right, I need to look that bit, hit the look button, my finger slipped, hit the fucking off switch at the back. Everything turned off, man. I was like, oh, fuck. And it's not a case of, like, hitting the stop button or the cue button and you can just, like, hit play and start playing again. No, uh, you need to wait for the fucking decks to load back up again and all that. I find the, the tune. logos and all that. And you're like, oh, everybody's like, oh, and I'm just like, aye, 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 I know, I know. I'm a dick. <laughs> but that's it. You got to, it's, it's not really about not making the mistake. It's about uh, having the right the right recovery in it. It's about it's, making the right how, moves after. It's how you deal with a mistake. And one of the best ones I seen was uh, Calvin Harris. It was um, playing a set, and the music stopped. And then he's on the microphone and went, "Rule number one of the DJ handbook: don't eject the wrong CD." 
and everybody obviously started laughing and uh, like that's that's again that's what it's all about it's still you're there to entertain people and if you start getting if you crack under pressure and you start feeling the stress from it like the crowd will feel that see if you can like make a joke at it and like keep it light and go oh my fucking dick like i made a mistake everybody makes mistakes hit play and then continue as if nothing happened all right, okay, the, the crowd will maybe take away for that, like a memory going, oh, mind that time fucking Daz Scott like, turned the decks off in the clubhouse and made a cunt of himself, but I'll t- if they like, turned around and said that to me in a night out, I'd be like, I, I don't know, I was fucking hit the uh, off button by mistake in my helmet. But, Do you know what I mean? Aye, uh, that's it. And I mean, if the mistake happens, I thought might remember the mistake, but... If you recover for it and just keep playing it nine times out of ten, especially in a nightclub, folk are that fucked anyway that they don't remember that bit. They just didn't re- remember having a good night. They remember the rest of the night being sound and they kind of forget about the, the mistake that was made. And I think there's been a few a few cases of that. Even I've seen one with David Guetta as well when he was playing Patcher uh, one night and he, he just... Fuck knows what happened. I'd need to ask him, but I don't. I doubt that's happening anytime soon. <laughs> but uh, it, no, he just completely fucked the beat matching. Like it wasn't even close. It was just a fucking disaster. Mate, Tiesto's done it as well. I can't remember that gig where Tiesto done it. It was like the kind of he's like in the center, and it's like a kind of raised stage, and it's like a dome, and it kind of like rotates. And it was like the old style CDJs, so you wouldn't have had like your big waveform and everything on it. So like. All right, okay, you might have had your beats per minute, but you would have still had to have matched the kicks and everything up by ear. Uh, so, but he done something, man, and the kicks were going... Duh, 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 duh. That's maybe the one I was thinking about, actually. I think I, this has just come back to me. So it was TS that done that. The David, Ge- the David Getter one was even worse. So he finished mixing his tune in, and he took his headphones off, and he dropped the headphones on the cue button, and everything just stopped. No, and that's... He's like, um, that's Martin Garrix. That, oh, that's who I'm thinking. But I seen that one. And I was like, ah, imagine beat playing in a fucking massive club with thousands of folk there, and that's what you do. You just that's, make a cunt to it. See the thing is with Martin Garrix, right? People will go take the piss out of Martin Garrix, but I can really. It'll, it'll sound fucking quite weird me saying this, but like he was really young, man. When like he blew up, he must have been about fifteen or sixteen, and I don't think he DJed or anything before that either. I think he might have done a wee bit, but. Like, he, his tune blew up animals and then all of a sudden he's main stage and everywhere. Like, in the DJ Top 100, like, DJ Mag stuff and all that. And like, that must be a lot of pressure for a young guy, do you uh, know what I mean, to face. I I mean, I think in, in his case, it was one of the ones where, like yourself, you said you, you had only been playing three weeks and then got kind of flung in your first gig. I think that happened to him on the biggest fucking stages in the world, which, again, is a whole other pressure. I think it was, like, ultra or something like that, man. Like, he was main stage in an ultra. Like, what? Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. insane, man. That's insane. And it's... Again, I I personally don't really like the EDM stuff because I can really see what it's all about now. It's just a bit of money. And I, I he was headlining that because it was a money cow, do you know what I mean? Because his single was like number one in so many countries or whatever. So like, for that point of view, I, I really kind of fucking hate it. But from from like looking at him personally as like a DJ and a producer, like I've got a lot of respect for him, man. Because see, like to be able to like engineer a fucking banging tune, 
all right, okay, I wouldn't listen to it now. I might have listened to it when it came out years ago, but to engineer an actual iconic tune and then your career take off from there and still be relevant now, like that must have been about 10 years ago that happened. He's still relevant, mate. Uh, it would have been a long time ago now. And uh, to date on your own as well, obviously, you had you had Alan beside you and the two of you were kind of figuring it out together. Like... As somebody that's that's kind of figured it out, do you think it helped you that the two of you were in the booth and you had each other to kind of feed off of and learn together and everything like that? I mean, 100%. Um, I also think even in the studio when we, are, when we started making music, so like I would find out something and I would go, oh, by the way, like, so what me and Alan would always come over to each other's houses, we would work on music together. We probably wouldn't release it or upload it, but we'd work on music and it would end up being like, oh, I've learned this, did you know that? And I'd be like, oh, holy fuck, I didn't know that. And I'd be like, oh, but did you know this? And he'd be like, oh, I didn't know that. So we'd be constantly bouncing off each other, do you know what I mean? And like teaching each other stuff. And I don't think we would be anywhere close to the producers that we are if we didn't have each other. Definitely not, man. Um, because, and we've got, I think this is what people don't really understand. Like, we've only, me personally, I've only been making serious dance music now for maybe three or four years. Like, I've done a lot of fucking about and like recording lyrics and recording guitars. I play a bit of guitar and stuff, you know. I like making rap beats for like, I was really involved, I was highly involved in like the Scottish rap scene and everything when I was like 17, not as a rapper, but like making instrumentals for Scottish rappers. Um, Alan was more like making hip hop beats for guys over in America. So he was getting like all sorts of attention for rappers in America, making beats for them. And um, then we moved into our dubstep stuff and I mate, we've just mate, we've just made a fuck ton of music, man. And like, I've actually lost the majority of my stuff because I had my laptop that I was using to make my tunes on the hard drive died, and I lost all my old stuff. And I'd love to be able to get back and like listen to like where I was back then and what my mindset was back then creatively. Um, I think the kind of oldest stuff that I've got now is maybe two thousand and eighteen, but I know like I've been making music. Like probably 2010, mate. Do you know what I mean? I remember you. I remember you doing it for a long time, and then obviously the kind of first, well, the kind of for me the first big tune that caught on, like you said earlier, was probably "Run the Noise," where it was, and still to this day, I've got that on my phone when I'm in my motor and I'm flicking Aye. through all the the tunes what we're putting on next. Every time I see it on that list, it's like yes, that's on, and it's just it's. Fantastic, especially compared considering you didn't you didn't play you didn't make a lot of that kind of music before that song came out. That was kind of the, the start of it all, wasn't it? So I'll I'll give you the full story behind that man. So like We Run the Noise was the first proper Daz Scott song that I put that I uploaded. And like the night I made that, I was there in my house. I'd like I was going to my pal's house and I was having a drink. Sorry, I was going round to my pal's house, they were all drinking, and I wasn't drinking, so I just went round to socialise. Well, kind of half socialise, I was going to sit with my laptop and make tunes, but still kind of jump back and forth with people. And I started making me run the noise, 
And see, as soon as I punched in what the first kind of verse melody, I was like, ah. yeah. Come on, listen to this. Do you know what I mean? To uh, a couple of my pals. Mate, I kid you not, like, maybe like four or five of my pals I showed the tune to, right? And they're all like, ah. mate, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck is that? And I'm like, I've just made that. And they're like, ah. No, you did there. I'm like, no, I did. Like, goes, ah, but you're usually making dubstep and EDM and electro and rap beats and like, what's that? And I'm like, I don't know, man. It sounds kind of techno, doesn't it? And I'm like, ah, it sounds really techno. Like, mate, that's banging. And I had a big fat kick on it. Boom, boom, boom. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck. And then every day was like, ah, mate, you need to upload that now. I'm like, ah, it's not done. I've just made like a loop. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so like, they were like, ah, you're staying in here all night till you get that finished and you're uploading it tomorrow. So I was like, ah, right, cool, man. So the first version of We Run The Noise is like three minutes long and that's the one that blew up on SoundCloud. I made it in a night, mate, and I uploaded it the next day and it blew up, man. And that's see, look, see that, like, that was just a magical fucking thing that just happened. And seeing that, me personally, when I look back in that tune, I don't think it's the best tune ever. Do you know what I mean? I think I've made better music, but because it was so in the moment and everybody just loved it and, like, felt it, like, it, it, there's something magical about music sometimes, do you know what I mean? When you create something and it's like, wow, like, that's, that's fucking class. And then um, I may uploaded that. I think it's sitting at like four hundred thousand or something like that now. That something nuts like that. That's mental. And the fact that you you made it in one night as well is just is ridiculous. But like you said, sometimes you'll just make something and it's just got that that something about it that we spark that just it catches on to people and folk just connect with it and they want they want more and more. So I mean. Yeah. Once you've found that, you've got to run with it. And I think, uh, obviously, big shout out to all your pals that were making you, supporting you to recognise that you were onto something here and sit down and get this done. Cause it's, it's, it's something I've always been grateful for, Chaz, man. Like, um, that my group of pals that I've had throughout the years, like they're, they've done nothing. Well, the pals are still about today anyway. Like, they've been nothing but supportive. Do you know what I mean? Like, they've been... They'll like and repost my stuff. They'll share my stuff. They'll buy my stuff on Beatport to help me get into the charts. They'll um, come to my gigs, do you know what I mean? And I'm very fucking grateful for it, do you know what I mean? And and they know if they ever need anything in return, do you know what I mean? I'll be there for them. And I think that's like very important to have like, people like that in your life, like, very positive people, very driven people that are like passionate about helping their pal succeed. Uh, I found that, I know, even with starting this podcast as well, like... Obviously, they're here, the, the Scottish folk like to talk, don't they? So my right. pals, I think, were just sick of me nipping their heads a lot. Yeah, you need, to, you need to talk for a living. Like, you need to go and fucking start a podcast yeah. or something. And I heard that I don't know how many times. And then eventually I was like, no, what? I'm going to give this a go. And it is, it's a hard thing to put yourself out there. See, to go and post something that you've worked hard on and you've put a lot of time and effort into on the, on the internet, it's, it's a hard thing to do. And you don't know how folk are going to receive it, but see when you've got the folk round about you who can be honest with you and tell you if it's shit here, 
it needs work. It, it's, it's shite. You need to sort it. Or when you've got something good, they actually show you the love and they support it and they keep pushing you forward to do better and better. I think that's a big, big thing. And uh, I think obviously for yourself, having that round about you at the start is kind of, it, it paid off and now we're seeing you doing that to a certain degree by supporting everybody else that's coming up like Stephen and uh, Daniel and the close contact boys as well because when that first came about obviously me and Stephen are very close and he lived with me for two months and uh, we like we've spent a lot of time together snowboarding things like that and when he told me about that, I was like, it's a fantastic idea. And him and him and Scoosh done the the set in the in the Maritime Museum, I think was the first one. And then obviously we had Stephen on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and he was telling us about how that your set at the dragon came about. What was it that kind of made you just jump in and I think he said it was like four in the morning or something when he messaged <laughs> you, like, yeah, we're gonna do this tomorrow. What was it that made you just go, you know what, fuck it, I'm on board? I've, when it comes to like music and stuff like that for me, mate, the reason why I've been doing it so long is because I fucking love it. Do you know what I mean? And um, I was still on furlough at that point, and it's something me and Stephen had been talking to back and forth about. I'd never met Daniel before I'd done that step. I'd known his brother Lewis. Me and Lewis went to their cadets and stuff like that together. Um, but And Stephen, again, I went to their cadets with Stephen. I've known Stephen probably 10 plus years. You know what I mean? Um and he always, I think it was something that had been like, maybe him and Daniel had been like developing for a few months prior to like him like messaging me. And he messaged me a couple of nights before the set happened saying, oh, would you be interested in doing a set somewhere? What would you be interested in doing? I was at, mate, up the dragon. But that was at, I was at, well, that was the first thing that jumped into my head. I was at, I need to do it up the dragon and I want to do a sunset set. And he was at, what about sunrise? And I'm at, Ah, okay, you know, I don't think I heard from him for a wee bit. And then I was in here, in my bedroom, must have been working on music, and it was like one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, and I got a message off him going at, right, do you want to do a set tomorrow up the dragon, sunrise set? I'm like, ah, fuck man, sunrise, like it's middle of the summer, so like, when's sunrise? Oh, about five, half five, I'm like, fuck man, I need to get like four hours sleep, but... I don't have my chin sorted out. I don't have it sorted out. I need to pack up my decks. I need to do all that stuff. And he's like, I'll be worth it. But, and as soon as he said that, I was like, do you know what? It probably would be worth it. Do you know what I mean? Because nobody's filmed a set up the top of the fucking dragon. Like, it's going to be cool as fuck. Everybody's going to be talking about it. It's probably going to end up in the papers. It's nothing but good publicity. And it's something that I always look back on and go, wow, that was fucking sick. Do you know what I mean? Like... And I think, uh, obviously, you said the dragon was the first thing that popped into your head, and I think you kind of you nailed it with that one because it's as much as Irvine is. Do you know the, the greatest people, place? Do you know the amount of people that I've spoke to from like maybe like Ayrton or whatever, Cowan and all that? I'll say on oh, the dragon, they're like, "What the fuck's the dragon?" Do you know what I mean? See the uh, amount of people that don't know about it. You're like, "Are you fucking for real, man?" Like. It's just iconic and everything, but isn't it? everybody knows the dragon. And I think that, that dates back to the days where you are probably underage and getting a bevy. As soon as it's fucking over 10 degrees, everybody's down the beach and up the dragon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, even that age, mate. It was something I'd done a couple of weeks ago with a couple of my pals. We were up sitting up at the dragon. So as long as you're there first and you've scared everybody else away, you're fucking sorted. It's, uh, it's a spot that people fight for, but especially if it is a really nice day, 
Like, see, like, the benches and everything inside it. Like, you're like, ah, we were here first. Get to fuck. This is our spot. <laughs> so, like, that episode, they're still game, but they're trying to fight over the bench. <laughs> that's, ex- that's that's what it's like, mate. Up the dragon. I uh, I mean, especially like you said, especially in the hot days when everybody's tapped after on the beach and getting the sun any chance they can get. It's uh, it's iconic, and the only thing you need to watch for is the fucking polos wanting to ruin everything in it and pour bevy out and that fucking yep. useless cunts. <laughs> Definitely, man. But the close, mate. The close contact stuff. Um, after, so we've been done, and obviously you'll probably know the full story if you've spoke to Stephen, but um, after we went and filmed the set, I was talking to him afterwards, I think they were kind of rough at this point now, but they're like, uh, what do you feel about, how do you feel about maybe like helping us out? I was like, well, I don't really know a lot about filming, and I don't really know about, a lot about all that stuff, but I'd, I'd love to find out because I've found my own music videos and stuff like that before. Like, really shitty music videos. Um, so it's... I'm I'm a creative guy, do you know what I mean? So I'm always up for learning that stuff and, like, anything I can do to, like, feed that kind of creativity, like, I'll do it. And I turned and said to Stephen, I says, look, when it comes to the point that you're about to... when your brand gets kind of big enough, like... Let me be the record label manager because I've always wanted to run my own record label and like help artists. I think it was something we, we touched on earlier on, like something me and Alan never had when we were younger was that support network where if you're making music, you want to get genuine feedback off people. So like, obviously me and Alan have got a really strong kind of engineering understanding of the music stuff now. So we know when something's like just been bumped or something's been made on something or we, we, we can hear all that stuff if it's been EQ'd correctly, if it's clipping, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I was I, I would love to be able to kind of like push the kind of generation below me or maybe even the generation below that kind of push them, get a bit of confidence behind their music and we can sign them to a record label and we can get their music on Spotify and Apple Music, Beatport and all that stuff. And it's all about, again, growing that network of people that like, trust each other and like, can feed off each other and grow as a community. Because as far as I'm concerned, see if one is one, we all win. You know what I mean? Uh, and that's a great mindset to have as well. Is I think there's too many people that are very selfish and they don't want to see anybody else win and they want all the glory. And uh, Especially for yourselves, having that mentality where it's, it's a team effort and you just want everybody to win. And if one person can make it and really go and do big things and that's a success in itself and everybody else can take pride in it and uh, I think these were really successful as well obviously your first uh, release on the label was Alan himself that put that tune out and it was phenomenal and yep. I mean Alan's like we've already spoke about throughout this uh, Alan's extremely talented and he's somebody that's, that knows his shit and he's been doing this for a long time and and then more recently you even got Gus I think Gus is fair isn't he? Gus is fair, mate. I uh, again, been... Gus. Gus is a young, again, a young guy that's like very keen and like very keen to learning that as well. And I, I mastered the tracking that from as well, just to get it up to that standard so that we could release it. And that's a banging track. That's a banging first track. Like, but but I was thinking about like I, I I'm not sure how long he's been making music for. Maybe probably a couple of years. Let's say. But like compared to like how long I've been making music and the the standard that he's at, 
Do you know what I mean? Just for the amount of time he's been making music, it's fucking incredible, man. Uh, I've been following Gus probably for about eight months now, close to a year. I think probably since the first set he played with Close Contact, maybe a wee bit before that. Um, and the stuff that he does is phenomenal. And he, you can see it. See, even if you go on his Instagram and go through all the, like, the pictures and all that, you can just, it's just oozing the passion for it. You can just tell he fucking loves it. And it, it shows in the track that he's made. I mean, it's a phenomenal track. Again, this is what it's all about for me. It's like, it's kind of written out these people. Do you know what I mean? And like, I can, I can, can I like, see through shit and stuff like that, do you know what I mean? So I can see people that are doing it for the wrong reasons and people that are doing it because they're fucking passionate about it, man. And Gus is passionate about it. And we've also got a, a single coming out from a, a lassie, I think she's for a drawing called Neva, which again is a fucking really good track. And I'm mixing mastered and everything for her. And if I can kind of give these younger artists a bit of confidence and like give them a bit of support on that as well, and like maybe show them some of the stuff that I've learned through the years and they can like develop that into their own sound. Like I'll take nothing but pride in that. I feel as if like I've done something to help them out. You know what I mean? And if they like do go somewhere and they become successful, I'll, don't get me wrong, I'll never turn around and go, oh, you wouldn't be there if it was there for me. I could sit back and go, like, do you know what? I, I was, I'm really like proud to have been a part of your journey and to have helped you out. Do you know what I mean? Uh, you I can think take... that's, that's what the community, I think that's what the dance music community and everything's about. It's about helping people out, man. And it's about, like, aye. It's, it's building a family, isn't it? It's, it's going back on the, on the, all those, uh, the values that kind of started it of inclusion and uh, just freedom of expression and just enjoying and admiring each other's work and, and being being uh, constructive and helping people build to their potential. And I think uh, you've had it right in the head. I mean, I'm excited to hear what, what she's going to come out with. And I even, I think one, I think her set uh, up at Lugs Pencil is possibly one of my favourite sets that Close Contact have put out. Yeah. She's very, um, she's very like hard techno orientated. So as far as I remember, the track's um, 140 beats per minute. Which is a lot harder than how I would usually go personally. I usually draw the line about one three five, and like I don't get any higher than that unless I'm playing like old trance or something. But it's a fucking decent track. It's a decent track, and again, like a first track to release and put out to every day, and like kind of start your brand. There's no better way to start it off for Gus and Neva. And MDLs, I'll say that as well, MDLs that's watching the podcast, like, feel free to message me on Instagram with your demos and I'll listen to them, I'll give you feedback. If it's not good enough, I'll give you genuine feedback on like an engineering point of view and say, right, okay, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do that before it's up to a certain standard. I'm not going to turn around and say, no, nah, it's not for us, get the fuck. Do you know what I mean? I'll, I'll, I'll give you the feedback that you need because as I said earlier on, it was something that I never had when I was younger. And if, you know, me and Alan had that when we were younger and we had that support, we could be somewhere else in there. Uh, and I think uh, that that's what's working to your advantage here as well, is the fact that you're willing to give that feedback and being a small label and uh, building your own platform. It's setting these apart to these bigger labels because a lot, like you said, a lot of the bigger labels, if, 
if you put if you send them a demo and it's just not up to scratch, they're all just going to turn around and go, "Ah, mate, that's shite. We're not for it. They're not. They're not getting any patience with you. They don't want to help you. They don't want to see the potential. They want it done right now. They want it to be perfect right off the bat. So even even mate, even like I've sent a power. I've been, I've I think I've got like twelve. I've been sent to twelve labels, and see even your smaller labels that I've sent demos away. To, they're not fucking interested, man. They're not interested in giving you the feedback, the feedback, and I can guarantee as well that they don't get that many demos through their emails. Do you know what I mean? See if you've got under like a thousand followers on like Instagram or whatever, like you're gonna be getting a couple of demos a month if you're lucky. You're not gonna be getting a lot of demos. Um so I feel as if you do if you are a small record label, you do need to put that extra bit of effort into it, do you know what I mean? And like be willing to like give people decent feedback um, uh, and, and I that was, that's always been like my kind of vision where when I've like, as I said I've always wanted to do my own record label so helping people out as much as you can is definitely the best way to go about it because they're going to remember that as well even if you don't accept their music at the end of it they turn around and go do you know what they guys gave me some good advice and I'm going to apply that to my next project and I'm going to become a better producer or a better artist. And then it develops that level of respect as well, where they they feel comfortable that they can come to you. And even when they do take the feedback and they go and apply it and they start working on it and then they make something new, something that they feel is improved, they're going to come back to you and again, because they know that even if it's still not quite there, if it's missing one or two things, they're going to find out what the one or two things is. It's not going to be a... A straight up no it's shite and then it's you're left there try to figure it out on your own and you know you know what it's like yourself like how much time you waste trying to figure stuff out on your own whereas if you've got somebody there like you were saying when you and alan were learning somebody there to bounce off of and to get the the feedback from and to, to give you a wee bit of guidance and point in the right direction it you can develop much faster and you can get to where you're trying to go a lot easier and a lot less stressful Chaz, I've got so much like music knowledge that I could fucking bore you to sleep right now. Like honestly, mate, like I've got so much like up here that I've learned through the years about like EQing, compression, reverbs, delays, like synth design. Do you know what I mean? All your different types of synthology. Like fuck, man. Like it's mind-boggling stuff man and like as i say it's like me and alan have been doing it a long long time and this is another thing so like we're, we're not just a record label like i do the the youtube tutorials as well i don't know if you've not seen them on the close i've, I've seen them i've seen hey i watch everything on close contact see the fact that it's like yourself steve and daniel like steve yourself obviously we've been we've known each other for what I think we were talking earlier about 15 years or something. Mate, I've known Stephen for a good, probably 10 years at least, and Daniel longer than that, somewhere in the middle, because, I mean, I used to, even before I knew who Daniel was, I used to play Xbox with him and all that, and I knew him for playing, like, Modern Warfare 2 and stuff like that. But, uh, so everything you do, I'm always on top of, and and I think, I think it's, I've took a lot of inspiration with what I'm doing here for the success you've had and the way you've stayed, stayed true to the kind of 
what's the word I'm looking for? Stay true to the principles that you've built this on and just working hard and making sure everything's done right and it's it's quality over quantity, and it? He's only just doing it something for the sake of doing it and seeing if shit sticks to the law. You're, you're doing it for a purpose. And again, one of the reasons why it does work the way it works is because I think we all bring our own thing to the table. Like, obviously, it's Daniel and Stephen's thing. Like, I just do the record label stuff and I'll help out with bits and bobs here and there. Stephen's a workaholic, man, when it comes to this stuff, you know? And um, Daniel as well. Like, you, you know Daniel's background within, like, the events industry, the music industry itself. Um He's got so much experience. So, like, and then you've got me, do you know what I mean? I've got all my production stuff that I've been doing for over a decade. Do you know what I mean? I, 15 years or so that I've been doing that. So I bring my sound engineer and everything point to it, my production skills, and then that's, you know, Steve will send me over demos and go, what do you think of that? And I'll turn around and go, Mate, it's like, it's been heavily sampled. I can hear it. Like, it sounds like fucking whips off a sample pack. Like, don't touch it. And uh, you'll go, oh, I never heard that. So, like, that's why I wanted to run the record label and bring my own thing to it. And we did. We, really, we work really well with each other. And it's something that, um, obviously, Alan moved away and went to Germany a couple of years ago. So, it's a kind of void that I've been missing, being able to work with people that are on the same level as me. And, um... Obviously, I still do my music and all that stuff, but doing the, the video stuff and doing all, like the record label and everything, do you know what I mean? I think it's fantastic, man. It's been a bit of a, a, bit of a lifesaver, especially during like, the pandemic where I was on furlough and I couldn't do anything. So being able to do all the close contact stuff has been fucking amazing, mate. And I'm really excited to see where it's going to go in the next year or so. Uh, I think you've got to do amazing things and you can see it like yourself obviously coming from a music standpoint you've you've got all the experience there and I don't think they could have found anybody better to take over that kind of side of the, the whole the whole project and then like you said Stephen with the business and just being driven and just the work ethic and you're seeing that as well coming with a lot of the stuff they're doing bringing they brought Glenn up for England and they're expanding down there and trying to kind of branch out, building off of the kind of core kind of Ayrshire-based, Scotland-based DJs that he's had. And then now with the the, the clothing line that's coming out, uh, we got a wee bit of a preview in the last the last episode we've done with Stephen that he was wearing. There you go, the close contact hoodies. I'm already, I'm already on to him. I've got pre-orders and I'm like, send yeah. me everything you make, yeah, man. Getting bullied. <laughs> Sorry, right. hey, see what he even told me. See, before he's had anything made, when he told me, Oh, we're going to do merch, I was like, Get it sent to me. I was also gutted that I missed the Daz Scott hoodies as well. Oh, that was a while ago now, man. That was built last year. I was kicking myself, see, because uh, the, the time that it came out, I was like, ah, it was one of the ones where I had a bunch of money tied up in other things. And I was like, ah, right, see if I can just get rid of one. I can go and get one. And then by the time I get rid to it, it was like everything was gone. Cause... See, 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 to be honest, mate, um, it's it's maybe something when Stephen launches the close contact stuff, it might be something I might get Stephen to help me out with because the way I'd done it, 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 it cost me a fortune. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't really, was making any money off it. So like, I, I think I was charging, what, 25 quid a hoodie and it was costing me, like, I know, don't know, like, 24.50. So I was making, like, 50 pence a hoodie, but I was more happy to have people kicking about my brand rather uh, than making dough off it. 
and the quality of the hoodies weren't great and the print was not great, but these organic hoodies that Stephen's got are fantastic, man. This has actually been washed once now, and it's like still, I think it's recycled materials and everything as well, the embroidery and everything on it's fantastic. So when this launches, like, aye, I think it's going to do very well. I'm going to be getting, I'm going to be getting a couple of hoodies, a couple of t-shirts anyway. I've already got the pre-orders in. And I, like you said, again, that's another thing. The same way as you've been doing the, the music for this long, Stephen's been doing things like that. I mean, we were talking a wee bit earlier as well, back in school, he, he had these opposed uh, clothing brand that I think he, he learned a lot off of doing that. And obviously that was something that after a while it just kind of fizzled out for him but um, even back then when he was making the stuff it maybe wasn't the, the same quality as it's at now but it was still quality yeah. and the ideas that he was bringing to the table was good and folk were buying it right and that's the main thing it's it's just keeping developing uh, Stephen's, Stephen's a genius mate definitely man and so is Daniel and like I've learned a lot for Stephen and Daniel as well for like over the few months that I've been working with him and it's actually been fucking class to like have an excuse to talk to Stephen again because me and Stephen obviously were, were really close when we were younger we went to cadets and all that kind of stuff so to kind of, kind of reignite that kind of friendship with him is nothing but good and obviously it's class to sit here and talk to you as well because we've done we've done a lot of bad shit when we were younger together <laughs> uh, we uh we've known each other for a long time obviously through primary and then we done judo together when we were young and we're always kicked about doing mad shit and it's probably been like i said after 2019 or 2000 aye, 2019 when i caught you just outside club it was probably the first time i spoke to you in about five years or something like that which is a shame so it's it's good to catch up with you. I mean, some of the mad shit that we've done over the years. Definitely, man. The, the one that sticks out with me was, fuck it, obviously we used to do the judo and I can't remember what was going on. I think there was a tournament coming up or in something and you were always like, look at me, I'm I'm skinny. I've always been this way, but I wasn't always as tall. I was quite small for, uh, especially at my age as well, like the skills, because I'd been doing judo for a long time, probably like yourself, so they were getting... You, you were very short, man, as far as I remember, but you were skinny, so you must have been about seven stone or fucking... I, I would have been around like then, but the, the thing that I had on my side was, because uh, obviously when I started, I started in Kowinan, and then I went over to Korinkwa in Kilmarnock where you were, and that's where we kind of started doing it together, and I, I was very technical and I was I, I was good even though I was small. I, I was smart with what I was doing in my movements, and I was a bit like a sponge and I soaked everything in. And I remember we were coming up on I don't know if it was it was either a belt grading where I was going for my blue belt or it was a it was a like club tournament or something. And they were trying to get me prepared for it, and they were uh, they so they were making me fight like yourself. Uh, I think they were making me fight a couple of the older boys that were kicking about. And I because as far as I remember, I was, was I a couple of grades above you? I think at that time we were up at the same grade, but you were much heavier than I was. So you were right. doing a lot better in the tournaments and you were doing a lot. Because, see, my problem is I would go, especially with the belt gradings, like you had the same problem as me. We were developing so fast that when we got to the belt gradings, we were probably a bit, I'd have been a bit, 13 and you were probably about 14 maybe give or take a couple of years there 
And then they were making us fight folk that were 16, 17 year old. And obviously for yourself, you were a lot taller, a lot longer. I always get fucked up, man, because I was always a tall cunt. I was always like six foot. And it bought that. Right, okay, 13 year old Daryl, you're up against all the black belts. And you're like, uh, fuck, man. I, I remember, remember the guy with the cauliflower ears? That, Aye. mate, fuck me. He, every time I fought that guy, it was just like kind of like sparring or whatever. He used to fuck me up, man. Like actual fuck me up. Like ragged me about the place, and I must have, I, I must have about eight or nine stone, just under six foot. Uh, I think uh, obviously you're You got a, you were a lot bigger, and you so you get matched up with a lot of the bigger guys. And then for me, my problem was I just wasn't heavy enough. So see, even when. See, even when I was scoring, when I was throwing folk, the second was on the ground, I was just getting rolled and cunts were pinning me. And it was like, so they were trying to get me to fight up and fight against the heavier folk. And I think especially yourself was because we were so close that it was perfect for, for me to develop because as no as, I mean, obviously you're getting your lickings and cunts are ragdolling you, but at the same time, it's a wee bit better when it's folk you know because then you, the same thing with the music you can turn around and you can get the feedback and I remember the one night we had obviously we, we had been just after judo your dad used to take us to McDonald's after we, we were done every week I and getting McFlurries yep. and uh, I think you had gave me a kick in that night and I wasn't happy about it and the two is <laughs> I never was happy with it. I was a terrible loser. I still am to was that, but... was that Was that the night when we were fucking squaring up in McDonald's car park? Aye, we were just about scrapping the car park. Your dad's going to have his heat and tell oh, you two, back in the fucking boat, the two are just a bit ragged on each other. With the, the worst part about it was with the, the white... Judo suits and on. Aye, the, <laughs> aye, the white judo suits. And I remember your dad saying, your boss going to fucking leather you if you get that market. <laughs> the two's are rolling about the dirt. <laughs> the, one, the one that sticks out to me, mate, 100%, we came back for the judo one night and my, my dad had just bought me a slingshot. And we're like, right, we'll go, we'll, uh, we'll go out with a slingshot. So I think we started off in the woods. We were like, ah, boo, boo, hitting the trees and stuff like that. And uh, we're like, all oh, right, okay, we'll go on top of the bus stop at the front of the road. And again, we must have been about 11, 12, something like that. Just we fucking idiots. We, don't, we still don't get up to that these days. <laughs> top of the bus stop, cars going by, fucking launching rocks at the motors. And we hit one car and the guy fucking come into the street and chased us run the street. And he's like, right, you, you wee bastards. Grabbed us by the ears, taking us up to the front door. Knocked on the door, my dad's like, ah, what's going on here? Goes, ah, these wee bastards have just been fucking launching stones at my car. And uh, I can't mind if I thought they'd be like, ah, oh, it was a slingshot. And my dad's just went, oh, fuck, I gave them that. <laughs> Your dad's coming in to get you and fucking swung you about the living room just about. <laughs> uh, it wouldn't have been the first time. I kind of got a few doing so I'd have for dead stupid shit like that. I, I think there's one that always sticks in my mind that I was probably about probably about that age it might have been that night actually I was probably have been about 12 year old and my dad turns around and he says to me you know what my dad's like he's he's always joking and he's always having a laugh but he was dead serious fucking old school man uh, he's dead serious he turns around and he goes you're 12 year old now we have any fucking problems there'll no be any grounding no, no be any shouting we'll be going out the back and I'll not fuck at you and he's deadly serious is he still to this day see if I was to see if I was to do anything stupid he would live up to it. He'd just start fucking leathering me, not fuck at me, so he would. 
Aye, your fucking dad, some guy, man. He's still, he's still kicking at it, man. He's still hard as fuck. So I, I don't think I'd try it. I think maybe, maybe if I had a couple more years at the judo and I put a wee bit of weight on, I'd have a chance. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know so much. I think that's something we have common with each other. Like, I think we were both scared of each other's dads because I think both our dads are scary characters, man. Your dad's massive, man. I, I I was never I was always my best behaviour because I was like there's one thing if my dad knocks fuck at me right dad was a bit bigger than I am see if dad was that knock fuck at me I'll not live much longer I'll be across this shortly <laughs> oh uh, good times mate fucking good times uh, obviously leading off uh, doing uh, running noise. You ended up uh, doing the, the remix of OCB with Energy Crew as well, and you got a lot of success with that. A lot of folk were, were really impressed with what you were doing there, and I think that's kind of blew up a bit on Spotify or on SoundCloud as well. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, so basically, the story with that was, like, I had, like, an idea in my head. I always wanted to do, like, a, I love, like, my kind of stuff and, like, my my Glasgow MC stuff and, like, even, like, my MC stomping. Like, you kind of beat it, like... So especially if you're in a gaff, you're having a drink and a bit of stomping comes on the Roxy Bay, like, it's class, man. So um, what i done was, I was at, right, I wanted to do like a crossover, like a tech routine, but I wanted to like simple Oxy B, like catchphrases or like hooks or whatever and throw it into a tune. So um, I like grabbed like an old um, like freestyle I'd done or whatever, but like there was hardly any um, like instrumental in the background and I just put a noise gate on it I'm like ah, right okay I don't have an acapella that'll do cut that show me the energy crew and I'm like ah, right mint it so I finished the track and I've mailed Oxy B and I've said right mate I've just done this track um, I've sampled you is it cool with fucking what use the sample and he was like, ah, oh, mate, that's banging, blah, blah, blah. Like, message me back. And I had a bit of a back and forth for him. And he was like, look, um, if you want the acapella for it, look, I'll send you over the acapella. So I was like, mm, it's all right, man. I think I've got it finished anyway. It sounds good enough. He's like, right, cool. Um, blah, blah, blah. Aye, that's banging. And like, shared it to his story. And I think I got like 30 fucking followers at it or something like that, like on Instagram. So I was like, all right, that's quite cool. But the big thing was, it blew up a bit on SoundCloud, so I think I got like 10,000 plays or whatever it was, do you know what I mean? Which is uh, cool as fuck. And nice. again, like, really sound guy to fucking talk to, like, through message. And he was like, I man, I love that, that's class. Like, if you need any more acapella, acapellas, hit me up and I'll hook you up with some. That's class, man. It's good to have the, especially the folk that you admire and the the folk whose music you actually listen to, uh, support you, and and tell you like what you're doing is that they appreciate it, right? Like it's it's a cool thing. Again, going back to the whole support thing and the feedback thing to have somebody that you look up to to a certain degree with the music that they make to then recognise the hard work you're putting in to make the quality music that you're making. One of, the, one of the biggest ones that um, happened to me was um, I got signed to James Allen's record label from uh, Public Domain, which was interesting. So I'd done a track called um, Geiger Counter uh, with Allen, which was years ago. I, if you've played Fallout, you'll um, like Fallout 4 and Fallout 3. 
I don't think so. I, st- I stopped playing Xbox when I moved to Canada, unfortunately. I had to sell everything off, and then it, it just took up so much of my time before that that I stepped away from it. So Fallout was like, is like one of my favourite games ever, man. It's like an open world, like post-apocalyptic. I, I, I'm not even going to try and pronounce that, man. Like, after a, after a nuclear bomb is dropped and the world's destroyed, world, <laughs> right? Post-apocalyptic world. There you right? go, spot on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I like sampled the, the theme tune to that, so it's like, I don't want to say the world on fire and that was an old song from like the 1940s and I just loved that theme and I was like do you know what I want to like have this theme but like fall out like Geiger counter radiation so like I had the drop having like a Geiger counter going and then I like I sampled a couple of the characters and everything and made it dead glitchy and I'd done this the first version I'd done with I'd done with Alan it was like two minutes long and then I was working down with a, a producer DJ called Jason Curry down at the Public Domain Studios in there. And um, he's turned around and showed, um, so he shares he shared a studio with um, James Allen for Public Domain and Mark Sherry, who's probably guys you might have heard of. Uh, definitely. Um, so like, obviously Operation Blade was a fucking massive tune, man, when we were at the school. Like, Basing the price, London, boom, boom, yeah. boom, boom, but mate, it was a massive tune, so... Still a massive tune. Still a massive tune to this day, 100%. Uh, um, so Jason had um, turned around and showed James um, that Geiger counter tune, like the, the rough version of it. And he's messaged me and been like, ah, look, he want this track signed, it needs a bit of work, it needs to be longer, it needs that, it needs that. So I worked on it for a couple of weeks and done like my own version of it, still kept like the original elements of it. I made it seven minutes long and made it a banging hard acid techno fucking track and he was like mate that's class man I'm going to sign that to my label so like to have like again that kind of that kind of recognition for somebody you know that was has been a major player like in the Scottish dance music scene like I mean they were in like the UK charts I don't know what they were I don't know if they were number two or number three in the UK charts for weeks with Operation Blade in like 2001 or whenever it was. Uh, massive, massive trend. So, so to have somebody like that, with that much credibility and somebody you look up to and like respect, turn and say, mate, your track's banging, I want to sign that to my record label. Like, that was like a, that, that's probably one of the highlights as well. Definitely one of the ones where, where you can open your eyes and you go, hey, like all, the, all this hard work and effort I've been putting in is, is paying off. Like it, it gives you a bit of belief and a wee bit of fire lit under you to just keep kicking on and keep doing more and more, doesn't it? Definitely, man. And that, like after that, I think that was maybe last year that got released. So that was like just before like the lockdowns and everything. So that kind of fueled the fire in me to make a lot. I made a lot of music last year, man. A lot of free downloads and stuff. Like that energy crew was one of the free downloads. I done like a Rue de Silva Touch Me techno remix. I done. I've got like, them all. I've got them I, all downloaded. I done a, I, I done a power of stuff, man. Um, and that was probably like that probably inspired me and gave me the drive to like make all that stuff. That track. The, the thing is with music, like, especially with me, like, every deal get like this, like, producers, sometimes you get in ruts and you go, 
I can't fucking make music. I can't do this. Look, I'm really struggling. Like, how did I make these other tracks? Where did I get my ideas from? But I can't even remember half the shit I made, man. Look, I made a power of stuff. Um, I done loads, mate. I done fucking loads. Look, I, I done a Vera Lynn remix, like, um, We Will Meet Again, which was like an old song for like the Second World War. I done like a kind of housey bootleg of it. Um, I've got that one and all downloaded. I think I've got everything that you've made, mate. And see, the thing as well is, I think a lot of folk have been very negatively impacted with the lockdown and it's been shite. And obviously I've felt the effects myself. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Like it's very hard to keep yourself motivated. But see, when you're constantly working on things that you're passionate about, it takes away from the, the feeling of just being stuck, right? Like there's nothing worse than when you want to go and do stuff and folk are telling you that you can't. So I think uh, the way, like the way that, a lot of folk, especially in the creative space, uh, DJing, producing, I've dealt with it. It's just uh, keeping working their ass off and putting new stuff out. And I think when things open up and you get user looking at opening up already in this year, I think when the floodgates open, we're going to see hunters of absolute top quality tunes coming out that folk have been working on over this oh, period. Definitely, man. Definitely. And it's something that we've, I've kind of noticed as well with the Beatport charts. So like, you used to be able to get the Beatport single charts with about 30 sales. The top 100. The threshold has changed for that now. It's up over 40. And I think it's because, as you said, there's so many producers in the studios making music and are making banging music. So, like, it's getting harder and harder now to get into the Beatport charts. You know, because there is such a wide... Like, there's... Not a wide, like, there's... Like, the market's so... But something Stephen will say. The market's so heavily saturated now with stuff. Do you know what I mean? So uh, when there's that much good fucking music coming out, like it's harder to get that breakthrough into the charts because there's uh, so much decent tunes, there's so much decent content there. Because generally folk, especially folk that are actively gigging and actively playing uh, residencies and things like that, they, they struggle to find, to find the time to sit down and make tunes and to get on the producing side. And I think a lot of people that have been only DJs that have maybe been DJing for a long time are now then turning into the, the producing side of things and having success. And uh, I think it is, for a lot of people, it's a very negative impact, but to a certain degree, it's positively impacted a lot of the music that's coming out, just due to giving people a lot more time to sit down and make sure that everything's been done at the best of their ability because nothing's rushed, nothing's... Uh, nothing's forced and they can take the time to learn and develop the skills and find the right things and like you said make a power of tracks and pick out the best ones and learn on each one and then showcase what they've been doing to the world in it mate see there's a few things that you've said there right that i would like to kind of expand on so like i a hundred percent mate like when you think about especially these larger DJs that are touring the world all the time, they don't have the time to make music. Like, the only time they'll probably have time to make music is maybe during the winter when all the summer gigs die down, or if they're on flights between their gigs, do you know what I mean? So, like, you know, like, th that's the only downtime they'll have. They might have a 12-hour flight from, like, wherever to wherever, and they'll go, right, okay, I can get six hours sleep and I can get six hours in production and I'll try and make some music. But that's very, 
like, kind of, I think that's really forced, man. Like, really forced production, and what like, you're you're like forcing yourself to make music. I think music needs to come naturally. Do you know what I mean? And it's as you says, it's all about like quality, not quantity. Like, and that's something that I've kind of learned over the years in that as well. Where years ago, like me and Alan would make a track in a night, and we would go, eh, we've not really checked it over. Yeah, we'll just fuck it up, load it, fuck it. But now. For me, like, I've got music that I'm wanting to release on the Close Contact label. I've got two banging tracks, mate. Guess how long I've been sitting on them for? What? A while, I'm guessing. At least a few months. A year. Fucking hell. So, I've two banging tracks I've been sitting on for a year. And it's tracks, one of the tracks I've been like, oh, banging, I just need to find the right label for it. And the other track was... It, 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 um, it's kind of conflicting with me what the dad Scott sound like it's tech housey but it's all, also it's kind of swinging into what the kind of popular tech house like kind of like Fisher and stuff like that so uh, I was like I was like mm, I'm not sure if I want to release that like uh, if I was going to release it I was going to put it for a free download but I've had a, a bit of time to think about it and I'm going to release both of them whether it's going to be singles or EPs I don't know but I I've been sitting on the tracks for a year mate do you know what I mean and see now, that's advice that I would give to producers, like music producers, if you're not 100% on the track, don't get yourself overexcited straight away about releasing the music. Sit on it for a few weeks, sit on it for a couple of months, make sure it's perfect before you put it out there. Because see, at the end of the day, that's your art, do you know what I mean? And like, alright, okay, if you've just started out and like you're just throwing shit on SoundCloud, just to kind of like, do you know what I mean? Fuck it, I'll just upload it and like get it out there. Alright, fair enough. But like if you really want to develop your sound and like become a better producer, you do need to sit on stuff because I've made tracks in a night that I thought have been banging, man. Like totally sober, been like, that track's banging, that's amazing. I've went to sleep, woke up the next day and went, Holy fuck, that's shite. Do you know what I mean? Uh. And it's you need to give your ears a bit of time to rest and like can almost like recalibrate. I uh, sit down and reflect on things that you've made and not just fall in love with the first thing you do. Um, and I think I read somewhere or I watched a video and I heard somewhere, I can't even remember who it was. I'm, I'm fucking, my memory's horrible. My brain's fried. But I was, I was watching something or I read something about one of these bigger name producers and they were talking about uh, how they'll let, if, when they make a track, they'll put it on repeat for hours and hours and hours and just listen to the same song over and over and that's the first test is to make sure that when they hear it over and over you don't get sick of it because you want folk to want to keep listening it doesn't get old a timeless you want something that you can listen to 10 years from now and you've heard a million times and it still gets everybody going and then after that don't listen to it for a long time and then do the same thing again and then revisit it revisit it and make sure it's still quality make sure it still holds up to the the same time as you made it and he says he maybe does that a few times and then in between he's working in different stuff and making tweaks each time he, he puts it on and I think that is something that only benefits people that do any sort of art is to give yourself time to take the bias out of it and to step away and to give yourself a bit of an outside look on what you've done and appreciate it from uh, a standpoint where although you're the one who made it and it 
to a certain degree, it's like the it's like the baby the baby thing in it, where everybody yeah. thinks their baby's the cutest baby, right? Yeah. You need to give yourself that that step back and that outside that outside view of it to make sure that it's something that you it is exactly what it is that you want it to be. A hundred percent, mate. I definitely. And like that's a kind of method that I apply in my music and that as well. Me and Alan work differently. So like that's again that's probably one of the reasons why we bounce off each other in the studio because we work so differently. And um so when he's made music, he will only listen to it. He will only put it on SoundCloud as private, like or whatever, you know what I mean? And then listen to it when he's driving to work or anything like that, like, he'll just make the track and go, right, fuck it, I'll listen to that in a couple of weeks, and if I still like it, I like it. But me, after I've made a track, or I'm making an EP, or developing an EP, I'll put it onto my SoundCloud as private, so nobody else can see it, and I'll fucking obsess over that, mate. Like, listen to it two or three times while driving to work, and try and pick out bits that I don't like. Do you know what I mean? And see the amount of times I've done that, I've been, I need to change that. And what see soon is, like, like it embeds in your head, whatever it be like, I'm not side chaining too much. I need to EQ a bit more out that kick. I need to do that. I need to do that. It makes you a better producer, mate. I think it does, man, 100%, because you start to understand all the elements that are happening in the track. And you can also, you can like strip it down, like individually, like each point. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it's it's like, uh, like American football players, are, I suppose football players in the UK and basketball players, they all watch tape. They all watch their games back. They pick it like, oh, that probably wasn't the smartest move there. What should I have done? UFC, exactly. Watching fights, watching tape. And you learn you learn about yourself. And if you're not aware of the mistakes that you're making and you're not aware of the things that you're doing, then you don't advance. You don't change them. You don't make the changes that need to be made. And, it's it's analytical, isn't it? It's it's like anything. It's you've got to treat it like like you like you've got to treat any skill the same. You can't just think that you're the best in the world because nine times out of ten you're not. You need to be humble enough to step back and criticize your own work and figure out where it is that you maybe not it's maybe not dog shit, but where you can improve, where you can make it better and better and better. This this is where we were talking about earlier on the feedback thing, right? And honestly, see if you can't take feedback, good or bad. I mean, if you can't take bad feedback, you're not right. You're not right for the game. All right, okay, you can do it as a hobby, but that's all it'll ever be. If you can't take feedback and not lose your shit, you're not right for it, man. You need to be able to look back and go, right, okay, why is that not right? I need to, look again, close yourself inside the studio, fucking understand it like, analyse it and go, right, okay, didn't they like this bit? They had that to say, why did they not like that? And develop your sound and become a better producer. That's what it's all about, man. That's what it's all about. And see, like, a, a decent music producer, a decent music producer can ghost produce for people. Do you know what I mean? They can work on different projects and they don't necessarily need to be the main artist on. I mean, look, look, guys, like, look at guys like Dr. Dre. Do you know what I mean? Like, he produces for... Rap artist, mate. I, I seen a thing that he produced um with, with music for Lady Gaga and stuff like that. The guy, the guy's just a genius. Do you know uh, what I mean? I can, and I can guarantee if Doctor Dre doesn't like something in the studio, if he's working with an artist, he'll turn around and go, "That's dog shit." 
like obviously not maybe as harsh as that but like you need to change that that's not right that's not up to my standard if it isn't up to my standard i don't want it released and that's the best way to work because then you know you're putting out the best that you can put out and when people listen to it they're gonna go holy fuck that's a that's an amazing bit of art you know Uh, I, I, i remember me and alan sat and listened to the Compton soundtrack. Do you remember when the Compton soundtrack came out? Yep. Mate, me and Alan, like, obviously, we're, we're big lovers of rap music. Like, Wu-Tang Clang, Eminem, blah, 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 and list of power names. NWA, Ice Cube, whatever. Um, we listened to the Compton soundtrack, mate, and me and Alan, like, obviously, because we'd produced rap beats and all the rest of it, we sat and listened to it and we all like that. Holy fuck, like this is a masterpiece, man. Like it's an actual masterpiece. And it's because Dr. Dre in the studios, like, I'm not putting shit out unless it's the best. Do you remember um the album Detox it was meant to happen with Dr. Dre? Yep. Aye. Get scrapped because he was the happy with it. Aye. As I think it's nothing. I think that is I think you you've nailed it there. Is you need to, even the, the top artists and Dr. Dre's widely regarded as many people in hip hop is one of the better one of the best producers to or one of the most iconic producers anyway to ever come out of hip hop and the ability to criticize yourself is, is definitely got to be there so that you can grow. Um and I think it's a balance though because there's a lot of producers as well that overanalyze and get themselves caught up trying to make something almost perfect. And they waste so much time on one thing that they don't get through the whole process. Like even even DJing as well. Like people will get so like they'll get halfway through a mix and they'll obsess over making this one thing perfect in the mix. And then then they they have a bunch of half-made mixes or half-made songs and they don't ever practice the the end the end aspect of it where you're finalizing things and your EQing and your mastering and everything else it, towards the end, they don't get the practice in that. So they get so good at the first half and then after the first half, everything goes to shit because they don't. And it's all repetitions. You need to be able to do the whole thing over and over again. And you need to remember that, like you said, you don't need to put everything out. If you make something start to finish and then you can always go back and keep working on it and making changes and everything, but you need to keep doing the process. And you can sit on, as I says, you can sit on a track for a year, mate. Do you know what I mean? You can sit on a track for a year, and if you're not happy with it at that point in time, you don't need to bid it. You don't need to upload it as a free download. If if you think to yourself, you know, you know what, right now, this is the right for me to release this, I can sit on it. Fuck, sit on it for a year. Sit on it for two years. Sit on it for five years. Do you know what I mean? When you die, it can... Fucking maybe get released after you die, whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? But you don't like as long as you're making the best music, and like, and you know that within yourself, and you know that you're one hundred percent happy with what you're doing. Like, Melody always puts out tweets saying, "Like, don't worry about like over engineering your tracks. Like, I've got music released that's demos. Do you know what I mean? Blah blah blah." But you know, I, I guarantee, like, they guys, like, they, they've released their demos and they're like, fuck, I wish I could have finished it. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. that's my point. Like, for me, I've released music and I've made the mistake where I've released music. I went, wow, man, I wish, like, that was the finished track. I wish I could go back and change that. 
But the music that I've done recently, maybe in the last year or so, I've been 100% happy with at that point yes. in time. And it's almost making peace with yourself that, like, you've done the best you can. You know what I mean? And if you... you Obviously, like, you're developing as, like, an artist or producer all the time. So, like, you might look back in that piece of music and say, all right, I'm not happy with it now. But you can say to yourself, at that moment in time, I've done everything that I could and it's the best piece of work. So see, um, we were talking about Scream earlier on, see that remix he'd done In For The Kill? Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, that's a demo. I know, I've I seen him talking about this recently and I was actually just about to say that to you as well. I don't know, on, on Instagram recently, you've seen Screams coming out with a lot of old unreleased stuff that he's now going back on working on and tweaking and you see him in the studio and it's like this is a tune I made in 2004 and this is back in the days where it was dubstep and things like that and he probably wasn't or he was actually putting out his dubstep and he wasn't doing as much of the house and techno stuff and he was still making that music and he sat on it now for fucking 10, 15 years and now all of a sudden he's going back and he's trying to finish them and working on them more and it yeah. just is a, it's a prime example of the folk at the very top that are doing exactly what you're saying. Yeah. I've I seen a I seen a tweet that he put out, man, which was like completely fucking blowing my mind and like do you know that way it was like it was a um Wolf of Wall Street moment where like they're fucking rookie numbers, do you know what I mean? You're slacking, like you need to up the numbers. So he said, I during the lockdown I've made like a hundred and fifty tracks. I'm like ah, <laughs> what? How can you do that? 150 tracks, mate. Like, I've made, all right, okay, I've maybe made 20, 30 at a push, but 150. I know, and it's, I think uh, it's just, it just kind of shows you the mindset he's got where he's no stressing about anything. It's just like getting his repetitions in, finding the ones that have potential, finding the ones that work. Like you said, finding ones that maybe have potential in the future, and you're just gonna right. I'll come back to that, and and it's just uh, it, it gives folk motivation that not everything that you have to do has to be perfect, right? Like yeah. you you have plenty of time to work on it, and you even look at a lot of that's the beauty about DJing as well. It's not a, everybody thinks it's a young person's game. It's not. It's no. I mean. Look at Fat Boy Slim, look at Carl Cox. They boys are in their 50s, coming up in 60 shortly. And Definitely, you're an advantage when you're younger. But if your skills are undeniable, man, like uh, even when you're getting into your later years, as you said, like it's that kind of industry that it's probably even the, the wrong way to like word it, like industry, because it's you can't really think about it that way. It's a scene, do you know what I mean? So as long as you've got the skills to look back it up, like techno and house and like underground dance music, whatever the genre it is, like they're, they're always going to approach the guys that are making the best music or doing the best sets. And as you said there, like Carol Cox has been ahead of the game, but like, he's been a major player like since like the beginning of the nineties or however long, so like thirty plus years maybe. Carol Cox has been in the scene. Which Late is 80s. Aye, man. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Daryl. I think we've done about an hour and a half here, and we've still got so much more to talk about, but uh, I'll go back at some point, mate. I definitely will get you back on here uh, and 
the next few months, especially with all the close contact stuff you are going to be doing, and we'll get an update way and and we'll see what you've been doing over. I'm excited to see what you're going to do in the next few months here. Like you said, you were talking about the EP coming out. You've been working on the record label over there with two tracks already out. If you haven't checked them out yet, make sure to go over to Close Contact uh, on Instagram and go and give the tracks a listen, download them, buy them on Beatport, all that good stuff. And uh, Check Darrow out if you want to let everybody know where to find you. Well, um, it's my music alias is Daz Scott, so you can find me on Instagram, Daz Scott Music, SoundCloud, Daz Scott. If you can search Daz Scott on Google, I'm up the top of Google as well. Uh, um, man's made so, it. Know <laughs> uh, what I mean? Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm very searchable. If you want to go listen to my music, it's very much appreciated. Give me a follow. Also support close con- contact and also. Follow the man Chaza here as well because this is some very interesting stuff you're doing right now. This is my first podcast and I fucking loved it. I loved every second of it, man. Brilliant. Good, I'm glad that we can be the first one. And like I said, I was speaking to Stephen over the last few weeks and this was one that I was excited for because me and you have known each other for a long time and it's been far too long since we've had a good catch up with this. And I've been keeping tabs and everything that you've been doing over there and all the music you've been putting out has been absolutely phenomenal so it's been an absolute pleasure to have you and I'm sure we'll get you back sooner rather than later yeah thanks very much mate very much appreciated thank you Thank you very much to everyone once again for tuning in to a Little House in the Prairie podcast all of the support you've been showing me means a lot to me if you haven't already, check out Daz Scott's mix that was posted on Friday. That's live on our SoundCloud. And all of the other mixes from previous weeks are all on there. So if there's any that you have to catch up with, make sure to go and do that. All of our episodes, including uh, our ep- episode last week with Drewski, are all online on YouTube and on our RSS feed for audio-only listeners. We are working on getting it put on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so stick with us for that. Massive shout out once again to Pale Studios for supporting us. Those guys have been brilliant. We've got lots of big things coming up here. Speaking of which, we are going to be doing our second giveaway. This giveaway is going to consist of two Pale Studios t-shirts. Any size, any colour, any design that they have on their website. You guys can let me know what it is that you want. I will get those ordered in and I'll send them out to you. So thank you to those guys for once again supporting me in this giveaway. Um, The giveaway winner will be announced in two weeks' time on our podcast. To enter, all you have to do is subscribe to the YouTube channel and send a screenshot to Wavelength Radio on Instagram showing you subscribed and you will be entered into the competition.